In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd like to talk this morning about two things that I think are missing from the church today. Not entirely, but for the most part. And their absence, I think, explains a lot of why the way the world is today, why um, the church seems to be shrinking, its influence on culture, and the world around us seems to be diminishing. I think these two things, we see them both in our gospel reading this morning, um, their absence from our ecclesial life, their absence from the way in which we speak to each other, the way in which we speak to the world, um, can go a long ways, I think, to explaining where we are. The first thing that's missing are stories. Jesus loved to tell stories. Regardless of which of the canonical Gospels you are reading, one thing that is clear in each of the evangelist portrayal of Jesus is that Jesus loved to tell stories. And there's a reason for this. Stories are how we make sense of the world around us. We don't actually live by a rigid set of facts that we hold to be true. The facts that we know to be true or think to be true make sense to us because they fit within the stories by which we make sense of ourselves and of the world around us. We understand them to be true. They are true to us because they fit within our individual and societal narratives and meta-narratives. You, uh, you'll have experienced the opposite of this when you're talking to somebody and you're sort of communicating and you feel like, by that person is living on a different planet than I am. Yeah, or they're in a different universe or something like that. It's because they're living in a different story. So the facts that you're conveying don't fit in their story. And they're either forced to shift their story or reject the facts. That's, that's how our human brains work. Our lives make sense to us or sometimes maybe often don't make sense to us. Because our lives either fit or don't fit within our storied understanding of the world. Of the world, in a moment, we'll dig into our gospel reading and take a look at the story Jesus told in the context in which he told it. But for right now, I want to commend to you the power of storytelling. Jesus is asked a question: "Who is my neighbor?" I am wired to answer that kind of question with a definition, right? The kind of thing you might find in a dictionary, or in this case, perhaps like a Bible dictionary, right? What is the meaning of the word neighbor in this sentence? Well, your neighbor is yada, yada, yada. You can fill in the blank. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus instead answers the question with a story. Because stories have ways of communicating not just information, 
That's what a definition does. But of inviting people, at least for a moment, to dwell within a new narrative, within a new storied world. What I'd like to suggest is that one of the reasons Christians have been ineffective in recent years, maybe decades, in sharing the gospel with the world around us is that we have forgotten how to tell stories. If you can't uh, hear it in that sentence, this is an implicit need for artists (laughs) to, to show up and help us tell better stories, paint better stories, sing better stories. We've answered, the church, we've answered questions with facts and definitions rather than with stories. And so we've stopped inviting people to take a moment from their regular lives and step into a narrative filled with the grace and mercy of God. They may not choose to stay in that narrative. We can't make them. But they can't stay if we aren't inviting them. It used to be that Christians were well known for sharing their testimony. It is our individual stories of God's mercy and grace in our life. But somehow we have lost this skill and it's to our detriment. It's frankly to the world's detriment. The church needs to learn to tell better stories, that is, better and truer stories that make better sense of the world around us. It is not enough for us merely to be conveying facts and information regardless of how true those facts and information may be. Because those facts and information will only fit, cognitively fit, if the person you're communicating with shares the same storied understanding of themselves and the world that you do. So evangelism can't merely be about conveying information. It must be about providing opportunities for people to step out of their stories, out of their world as they know it, out of themselves as they know it, and step into new, fresh stories filled with the grace and mercy of God, stories in which the facts that we're trying to convey now fit, now have a place in that world. If we aren't telling people stories, we're only doing one part of bringing the message of the gospel to the world. So that's the first thing I think the church is missing, the ability to tell stories that invite people to dwell within a narrative, a meta-narrative filled with grace and mercy. The second thing is that last word. The second thing I think the church is missing is that last word, mercy. And that's what we're going to look at for the rest of this sermon. If you want to understand the power of stories, just look at our gospel reading this morning. Most people are familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan, but I suspect less people are aware of the immediate context in which Jesus speaks this parable. Jesus is confronted by an expert in the law who decides to put Jesus to the test. The man wants to know what he must do to inherit eternal life. 
And Jesus turns the question back on him. What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answers the question with the question. As an expert on the law, Jesus asked him what the law says. And the man responds remarkably with what we now know as the summary of the law. The man says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This is remarkable because usually we find this summary on the lips of Jesus. But here, someone else says it, and Jesus affirms it. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The man then seems to shift his reason for this interlocution. At first, he wants to put Jesus to the test, but now now he wants to justify himself. And so he asks Jesus, Who is my neighbor? He is not seeking information for information's sake. He's more like the student raising his hand to ask the professor, will this information be on the final exam? (laughs) He wants to know how to pass the test. Specifically, he wants to know, and this is important, he wants to know who the object of the second great commandment is. Okay, you told me love my neighbor as myself. Well, who is my neighbor? Who is the object of the love that's required of me? Give me that, that, you know, is it everyone within a block? Everyone within my house? My next door neighbor is like, tell me who that is and I'll go, I'll go do it. Presumably, he must think he knows who God is. But he doesn't ask a question about that. And he must think he has some idea of what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. But what he wants clarification about is whom exactly he must love at least as much as he loves himself. He wants to know who he has to love in order to fulfill the second great commandment, pass the test, and inherit eternal life. And to answer his question, Jesus tells story. He tells a story about a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho who is set upon by robbers who strip him, beat him, and leave him half dead on the side of the road. Along comes a priest who sees him and passes by on the other side of the road. Then comes a Levite who does the same. Then and this would have been shocking, shocking to anybody hearing this, this parable in the first century. Then comes along the third man, the despised foreigner, the Samaritan, who saw the man in need and had compassion on him. He not only, to be clear, he not only takes care of his immediate needs, 
But he gets him to safety, and he continues to pay for his care, even though he can't stay there with him. At the beginning of this account in the gospel, Jesus responded to the lawyer's question with a question. How do you read it? Now again, at the end of the story that Jesus is telling, Jesus asks another question. Which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I said last week that we fulfill the first great commandment by fulfilling the second, that we love God with all that we are by loving people that he created in his image. And today we get a better understanding of what it looks like to fulfill that second great commandment. And the answer is basically mercy. Mercy. The expert in the law wants to understand whom he has to love so that he can fulfill the second great commandment. He wants to know the object of that commandment. But that is not, pay attention to this, this that is not the answer Jesus gives. The question of who is my neighbor is answered almost immediately in the story. My neighbor is the man in need on the side of the road. That question is asked and answered almost immediately. But Jesus is pursuing a different truth, a better truth. The man wants to know the object of the second great commandment. Whom do I have to love? Jesus wants to talk about the subject. Who proved to be a neighbor to that man? And the answer is simple. The one who showed him mercy. Mercy. In the liturgy, we say that it is God's character always to have mercy. And so it's natural that he would expect the same of his people. He expects us when we find that person on the metaphorical side of the road to treat him with compassion and mercy always. And that person might be a literal person on the side of the road. He might be an actual neighbor who needs help. He might be someone in your own home or someone all the way across the globe. Our neighbor is anyone we come across who is in need. And the way we fulfill the second great commandment and thereby fulfill the first great commandment is by showing those people one word. Mercy. Mercy. Mercy is what must drive us out as we go from this place with the message of the gospel and the hope of the kingdom of God. We are not called to bring the kingdom of God through might, 
nor through power, nor even through political machinations. We are called to bring the kingdom of God by showing mercy. Mercy doesn't degrade. Mercy doesn't shout. Mercy doesn't demand. Mercy doesn't ridicule and mock. What mercy does is make the love of God real in a person's life. Mercy is what drives us to love those who look down on us and hate us and despise us and spit on us. Mercy is what enables us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Mercy is what made the Son of God enter into the story of human history and give his life for all of us. You go and do likewise. Amen.